No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio. The title for today's message is A Red Heifer versus a Red Herring. Now, that may sound a little bit strange. A red heifer versus a red herring. Uh, on the rabbi's forum, somebody asked the question. They had heard about the red heifer uh, that was spotless, perfect red heifer that is located in Howell, New Jersey. You all heard about this? Right. It's, it's news all over because what they're thinking is that uh, if this is the red heifer that they have been looking for, and the temple may be right around the corner, and I don't mean the temple around the corner here, but in Jerusalem, that they, they're, they're, they're always talking about another temple being built. And uh, they do reference the idea that it will be Messiah who will bring that offering and, and, and such, and that this would be ushering in a special time. But it made me start to think about it. They were saying, what do you know about this? And I wrote back and said, well, that's, that heifer lives right around the corner for me, uh, less than five minutes away. Uh, I've passed by him many times. He didn't wave to me, but I, I've seen that red heifer out there. Has anybody ever gone by there and seen? Oh, you have? Okay. No, but it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But what is most interesting to me are the fact that people get fixated on these kinds of things. If there is something to this, that's wonderful. But it seems like everything else in the world stops when people get fixated on these things, which are like a red herring. Now, how is that? What is a red herring? Well, I brought in a dictionary translation of, or dictionary definition of it. First of all, most of us know, uh, a red herring as a smoked red herring, a smoked herring, something in uh, wine sauce or in the cream sauce is the best. That's not the herring it's talking about. It's the number two section of this. Something intended to divert attention from the real problem or matter at hand. A misleading clue. It was a red herring. You know, we've heard about these two men that escaped from prison, the one who was killed yesterday, and the other hopefully will be captured soon or be no more as a threat. But if you listen, they have over 2,400 sightings or clues that came in. Many of them were giving them accuracy as to how to find them. They had to follow up on all of them to see if they're valid or if some were just a red herring, a clue that was leading in misleading direction. Now, in the scripture, we will find the truth of God's word. But even within the framework of scripture, those things that are symbolic of the purity of God's word, the red heifer, the description of this is kind of interesting because the red heifer was to be spotless, never having worked or had a yoke upon it. It's kind of funny because, see, a red heifer is actually a female cow. So there's no bull involved. On the other hand, a red herring is all bull, <laughs> if you think of it this way. It's just not accurate. It's a distraction. Now, what is amazing is that we can take 
what represents purity and turn it into corruption. You know, it, it's also interesting. I, I read something, let's see if I have it here. Rashi had made reference to the red herring. Uh, the red herring, sorry. To the red heifer. Got to get my H's right here. <laughs> the red heifer. He says this. Rashi, Rashi comments that Miriam's death comes immediately after the portion of the red heifer in order to teach us that the same way the sacrifices can bring atonement, so too the deaths of the righteous can bring atonement. I don't know, did you read that into it? See, I think that becomes, with respect to Rashi, a red herring. To figure out that Miriam, who had rebelled just prior to that, who had been afflicted with leprosy because she got sidetracked and distracted by her own red herring, her own well-being, saying, we also hear from God. Or last week when we talked about Korah, who got sidetracked from the reality of what his position represented because he was jealous of Moses' position and accused Moses of taking too much upon himself. And you see, he also misled a whole host of leaders and many of the people who said, you killed the righteous people. They were speaking words. He said, all this nation is righteous. Moses, you've taken too much upon yourself. And Moses falls on his face and cries out to God because he understands that it's not him, but it is in a spiritual realm that this misleading actions will bring repercussions to the natural world. Judgment that would fall. And none of us are, none of us are less than susceptible to these things. We are all susceptible to these distractions. We have to always keep in mind that God has a purpose and a plan. We were speaking about the passage, I'll read that in a little while, from Ephesians 6, where he talks about taking the whole armor. He says that we don't uh, he also says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's not people who are our enemies. There is something behind it. And to focus on distractions, to focus on people as an enemy, to divide and conquer is the purpose of the adversary. To get people to move away from a unity where Messiah prayed, Father, that they may be one as we are one to where if there is a separation, all of that power from God is diminished because he chooses to work through his people. And if we are distracted by a red herring, whether it's by personal gain or whether it's by a rumor that we think is so cool that we have to drop everything to get it spread around or to undermine and say the problem is this politician or that politician, the problem is this denomination or that denomination, the problem is this group of people or this ethnic group of people. We are dividing ourselves and we are following and running after a red heifer. A red heifer, a red herring. The red heifer represents this mixture that they made from the ashes of this sacrificed heifer to be a water of purity, to be a something to utilize when somebody was defiled 
by having touched a dead body or defiled in some manner, this would be brought to bring about a transformation to purity. But interestingly, the very vehicle for bringing this ointment or whatever you want to call it for purity was also something that made the person who handled it made him defiled. It says that the Kohen, who does the sacrifice and puts this together, he is to remain unclean until evening. The person who handled the ashes has to be a pure heart, has to be a pure person, and then he is unclean until evening. It's kind of interesting that what is being made to be an avenue of ceremonial purity also defiles the one who is pure in bringing about you following me on that? I mean, that's something I was just noticing as I read this, that it seems ironic that that would be, uh, that that would be the case. And isn't it, isn't it also true that when we are looking to follow the Lord and to walk in a manner that is pleasing to him, we may find ourselves with challenges that could be a rabbit hole, trying to figure out where we're going, what we're doing. Sometimes, I mentioned this before also, that uh, sometimes when we pray and circumstances come up, if we just simply respond to those as they come up and say, it must be God, we're doing a disservice to a relationship really with God. There's an impurity that's there. We need to ask God, is this a directional change, a rerouting by your spirit for a divine appointment Or is this a distraction to keep me from the divine appointment I'm on my way to? We have a certain responsibility to determine whether the issue at hand is a an issue of purity, a red heifer, or a red herring, distracting and misleading us to keep us from the place we need to be. And you say, well, how do you make that distinction? You have to seek the face of God. We have to be engaged in our relationship with God and not assume that the circumstances are the leading of the Spirit. Well, it must have been the Ruach HaKodesh. It must have been the leading of the Spirit because, look, all my plans changed because this came up. But this coming up may have been a distraction from where we were meant to be. And if we only go by how we feel about it, we will find ourselves running after red herrings all day long. And I don't mean on a diet plan. We will be running after this mis- these misleading clues that lead us from one place to another, like a scavenger hunt that you go to find things and it leads to one clue, then to another clue, then to the other clue, then back again and another clue, and you're trying to get to the conclusion, but all it leads to were clues that lead to nowhere. And we run like mice in a maze trying to figure out where we are. When God wants us to not be conformed to this world, but be renewed, uh, but, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind is to get the mind of God. And to get the mind of God doesn't mean that we now know everything. The mind of God is to say, get his counsel in every circumstance. Be engaged in the process. It wasn't enough that they had a ceremonial process for putting this concoction together from a red heifer. But a person could easily get caught up in looking at the ceremonial things and miss 
the internal spiritual reality of things. Could be pure on the outside and dead men's bones inside. Remember what Yeshua said about those who had a self-righteous attitude. There is a certain corruption. We mentioned in our class earlier today in reference to Job. Job was a man set apart from everybody in his day. He was a man of righteousness in a world that didn't fully comprehend that concept. And it says that he feared God, he eschewed evil, he didn't curse God nor charge God foolishly. Very good for the first two chapters of Job, but that was not his legacy as it moved forward in it and as circumstances begin to get Worse, he didn't curse God, but he certainly questioned God. He certainly challenged God. And it finally got to the point where his friends, giving him all of this falsehood counsel, made him feel like he had to defend himself. And so he began to come to the conclusion that he would, if he could stand before God as a judge, and he could be his own representative and plead his case, he could prove that it wasn't because of all these things. He could prove his righteousness. He was questioning God. I mentioned also that, you know, I have a song that says, a new one that says, uh, there's hope for a tree, that if it be cut down, it will sprout again. Most people, when they look at that verse in Job 14, they look at that verse and we say, we say, yes, there's hope. And it's a word of hope. But in the process of what he is actually saying in that chapter, he is following a red herring. In the context of that, he says, when it comes to people, though, when you die, you die. There's nothing you can do about it. It's over. And when he says that he was waiting for his change to come, if you've ever heard, how many have heard that in messages? Nobody heard that in messages? Must be something in a lot of the churches that I went to. That was always, they say, I got to wait till my change comes, meaning the transformation. But in the context of what Job was saying in that chapter, He said, I just want to die. I wish I was never born. My change, meaning let me die, was his prayer. The context, though, for Job changes as God begins to interact with him later on. And he brought him back from the misleading pathway where he felt he had to defend himself to where God humbled him and he became the avenue of increase in his walk and purity with God but also the avenue for deliverance for his friends who were not treating him very well. In the process, there was a restoration, and he was like a tree cut down that did sprout again. The hope is as we abide in the presence of the Lord, not simply following a ceremonial task. When we looked in the passages in, uh, in Hebrews, we saw the reference to the offerings and the sacrifices that were made. We saw those uh, mentioned uh, in there, and it specifically said in chapter 9 of Hebrews, Messianic Jews, in verse 12, he entered the holiest place once and for all. He entered not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus setting people free forever. For if sprinkling ceremonial unclean persons If sprinkling ceremonial unclean persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer restores their outward purity, 
then how much more the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself to God as a sacrifice without blemish, will purify our conscience from works that lead to death so that we can serve the living God. God's purpose is not that we get caught up in academics or rabbit holes or rabbit trails. That's what they say, rabbit trails, where you're constantly trying to figure out, or like when they picture the carrot on a stick and you're running after it, you can never get it, but you're running, 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 running to try to get it. God does not put a carrot on a stick in front of us. God gives us substantive places of his treasures that the world doesn't know about. And it is so important for us to constantly remember that if the ceremonial blessings or if the ceremonial issues here where he says, if sprinkling ceremonially unclean persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer restores their outward purity, how much more? We are living through Messiah in the how much more category, not in that how much do I need to get by category. So many times we live in saying, what's the least requirements that I need to be qualified to be in? When we approach things that way, we will always come up short and we will be more susceptible to follow the red herring instead of what the red heifer represents. It represents the avenue for purity, for understanding the cleansing power of God, for understanding how to be purged from all of the thoughts and all of those imaginations of our mind, not being led astray by them, but being set free by the renewing of our mind. God wants us to be able to walk in a, in a reality that this world doesn't know. It says it doesn't exist. They make mockery. And if we are influenced by the mockery to back down from what God says, then already we're going down those rabbit trails. We're already missing the mark. When we get into positions, and I mentioned this before in Ephesians 6, when we get into the position of being sidetracked by all of these things that come up, some of them may be very good things. But if they distract us, And if they divide us, our ability to be effective in the kingdom of God is diminished or null and void. We may go through the trials of Job. The trials of Job was not God being snookered by the adversary saying, I dare you, I double dare you. And God said, oh yeah, well, I'll show you. Nobody calls me a chicken. You know, It's like God was not suckered into a deal. God saw beyond what the adversary saw, saw beyond what Job was to what he could be. And in the process of that several-month experience, they say it wasn't, you get the idea, it's, it's like forever he was suffering. But it was a short period of time. But we all know, we talked about this before, we all know that when you go through something and you don't know what the conclusion is going to be, it feels like death is on the doorstep. If you're in pain, mentioned this before, if you're in pain, you think it'll never be gone. It's always going to be this way. And then when you're delivered and healed, you don't remember what pain felt like. You know you had it, but you don't know and remember pain as pain. You've passed through it. You've passed through that. 
into another place. So we often take it for granted. And yet in the process of that challenge, God was working to will and to do of his good pleasure, pulling together aspects of focus that get us back on track and not following rabbit trails. In a way, you could say spiritually, he provides that purification that the red heifer represented instead of being sidetracked by our emotions or by mental games or by manipulation or by viewing even the fact that people are our enemies. That passage in Ephesians that I referenced before, Ephesians 6, verse 10, finally, grow powerful. How many want to grow powerful? A lot of people want to give the illusion of power. They want to look important. There was that scene from <laughs> The Matrix. I loved it where the guy who, who, who gave up everybody, he says, I don't want to remember anything. He says, and when you put me back and I'm back in this place and set up, I want to be somebody. I want to be somebody important, like an actor. That line to me is perfect because a guy who is following rabbit trails and is following a red herring will believe almost anything. And so he's dealing with people who he knows can wipe him out like that, but he's trusting them and giving up on his friends for an illusion. And then the beauty of the illusion is this. He thinks to be important, somebody of, you're thinking, I want to be somebody important. I could be anything I want to be. What would you choose? President? King of the world? What would you put? He says, an actor. To him, the reality was to be somebody important like an actor, as if that's real. I mean, we have actors who are spokesmen today, spokesmen today for all kinds of causes because we saw them play a part in a movie. We think they have credibility. They just know how to act like something else and make it look real. So we assume and give them, well, I, I saw, you know, he played the part of a president in a movie, so let's make him a president. Or, or look, he suffer, she suffered so much in that film as somebody, she understands the plight of those who suffered. No, she played a part and played it well and got an Academy Award. But she is not the spokesman now because she didn't suffer. She played the part of someone who did. Now, maybe she had an empathy that she learned from it. You know what I'm saying? It, but God's, the world we are living in is a real world. And if we're going through life playing a part, we're going to find ourselves sidetracked by the reality that God says is to the lie that the adversary says the truth is not. When he says, finally, grow powerful in union with the Lord and in union with his mighty strength, use all the armor and weaponry God provides so that you will be able to stand against the deceptive tactics of the adversary. The deceptive tactics of the adversary is constantly giving us red herrings, giving us clues to nowhere. If we live in a world where we are clueless, we are helpless to be able to affect in a positive way the lives of those who are even more clueless than us. We want to be able to set captives free, but don't even recognize that we're walking in bondage oftentimes when we allow ourselves 
to be sidetracked by what somebody did to me, what somebody said to me, the way they looked at me. Oh, this one ignored me. And we make decisions as if that person is our adversary. And the reality is, he says, we are not struggling in verse 12. We are not struggling against human beings. He couldn't be more clear. But against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers governing this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Take up every piece of war equipment God provides. He tells us how to equip ourselves with his word and with prayer and with a breastplate of righteousness, with the helmet of salvation, guarding all the fiery darts of the adversary from finding lodging within us, being infected by the lies that are in that war in the world. We don't fight in the same way that the world does, and if we do, we lose. I mentioned it before. I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's an illustration I kind of came up with, but we lose. It, it's, it, I never could understand. I'd like to find out. Maybe I should do some research. I don't know where this word came up, but it always amazes me, and you've heard me say it before. In the old days, when somebody had an, was upset with someone, they would challenge them to a duel. What stupidity. The guy comes and slaps him in the face with a glove. It's a ceremony. He says, I challenge you to a duel. Choose your weapon. I, got, I think that is the stupidest thing a person could say. If you're going to challenge to a duel, say, I'd like to challenge you in the thing that I'm real good at. But if you say, choose your weapons, because that's protocol, and the guy says, I'd like to go with swords, and you say, I'm really not good at swords. But you just asked him to choose the weapons. When we go by what the world says, we are saying to them, choose your weapons, and we're not good at it. So they call us a name. Instead of allowing the insults to roll over us and see the bigger picture and say they don't know what they're doing, we say, oh, yeah? And your mother wears army boots. <laughs> you know, you think that's something? Well, I'll tell you an insult. What in the world are we doing? We are fighting in the wrong place. We're following a rabbit trail. We're following a red herring that stinks. And it will not lead to something of life. God's trying to bring avenues of purity, of wholeness, of holiness, of a restoration, understanding that there are conflicting views in the world. There will always be conflicting views. But here is the secret. We want to follow what God says. Not so that we condemn everybody who doesn't believe that, so that we can show them a pathway to purity, a pathway to holiness, a pathway to being made whole when everybody is struggling all over the world to try to figure out how to get there. And they listen and follow the distracting, misleading clues that lead them in all kinds of directions and all kinds of additional bondage. You know, once a person begins to lie, initially, one of the things the adversary does is he wants cover-up. Exposure is the worst thing you could ever have. That's what he tells you. So we sit there and we say, ah, that's terrible. Nobody can find this out. Yeah, well, here's what you Tell them this. You tell them this. And you lied. Now you got to remember what the lie is because once it comes down the pike, if you don't remember it, you get it wrong. There's a conflict. There's a problem. And we keep trying to cover and try to hide and try to do more. And it's like that same issue of following a misleading clue that leads us to nowhere. 
But God wants to lead us to life. God wants to lead us to a place of abundance and to fruitfulness and to effectiveness and to a place of purity. Messiah already paid the price for us as that sacrifice once and for all. And the thing that he calls us to do is to challenge our own assumptions, to challenge our emotions, to give those things over to God and believe him because what he says is true. Now, I'll tell you one other red herring, one other red herring. It's a really tricky one. It's where you think that you know so much more than the other people that you're going to point out their red herring. And you'll say, no, 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 here's what you need to do. This is what you need to do. I know what you need to do. You don't even know what the situation is yet, but we're going to give counsel as to what to do. The fact is that all it does is distract us from following a pathway. We create our own red herring by trying to present ourselves as important, as knowledgeable, as special, as unique. And the fact is, we are special and unique, but not because we have created in our own mind something that we think is an image that portrays us in a good light. God sees us in a light that we need to see ourselves in. And before he can bring us to the light that he's committed to make our portion, he has to sometimes show us those shadows of darkness that we have inside and lead us through that in a way that will purge us and cleanse us from those things so that when we look, we do Follow the patterns that say, esteem others better than yourself. That lays our life down for our friend. That overlooks a fault. That is able to see the big picture. To be able to view it in a way and from a vantage point that's not based on what is insulting to me, what is hurtful to me. There's that wonderful, I mentioned this to the, there was that old German pastor who said, going to Bible school, we used to listen to his tapes. He said, when you're nothing, nothing. We need to get to that place, not just annihilation, not nothing in that sense, but nothingness so that God's all can come and be manifest so that we could see through his eyes, not through some kind of goosebump feelings about what spiritual input from God is, the revelations that we have. Those can be also red herrings. But God wants to establish strength. He wants to establish power. He wants to establish us in a walk with him that is secure and that bears much fruit. And that is something that we have to constantly be wrestling with. It's one of the reasons why it says so often that we need to feed, we need like the verse that says we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We need to humble ourselves before God. It doesn't mean go around fearful. It means to be mindful of the susceptibility that we have to those things that are around us to lead us in a misleading manner and to follow the pathway that God lays out, whether we understand or not, because his commitment to us is like no other commitment could ever hope to be. And it will always lead to life. Well, I'm done, and I want to go to the Kiddush and have some herring. <laughs> oh, it's not red. That's all right, but it's in the cream sauce. No, it's in the, the okay, the wine sauce, yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to follow a herring, that's the only herring I think I'm going to follow, okay? Or, and, and even when I say that, I know that we are always susceptible to those things. 
That's why we need to seek the face of God every day. That's why we need to come with fear and trembling. That's why we need to pray and be in his word. If we're not in his word, his word will not be in us. And if his word is not in us, we become subject to whatever somebody else's counsel outside or contrary to his word represents. We'll say, but if it makes them happy, who am I to say? So I'm going to change my whole walk because somebody says something will hurt them? We need to walk before the Lord, not condemning people, but bringing revelation and life. Because no matter what people think the answer may be in their own power, being set free from themselves, to see the power of God manifest changes everything. I know before I accepted the Lord, it made no sense to me, but I saw there was something in it. But the moment he came in, my whole world changed. Everything changed. The moment before, the moment after. Rav Shaul was moving in very righteous manners, but it was red herring after red herring until God threw him to the ground and he said, why are you persecuting me, Shaul? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Yeshua, the Messiah. And he thought, oh my. He didn't record that, but I think he said, ooh, ooh. You ever watch a kid go, uh-oh. <laughs> I love when little babies go, uh-oh. First thing, they know something's up. He got a clarification about his red herring that made red blood run in the streets too. Many people were hurt and killed under his delusion. And yet God brought him to a place of sanity, a place of reality, a place of walking where no circumstance, no trials, no stonings, no tribulations, no drownings, none of those things could separate him from the love of God. Once he took hold and saw it, he said, nothing can separate me from the love of God through the Messiah Yeshua. He said, I've learned in every place, whether having much or little, to be content because I can do all things through the Messiah who strengthens me. Everything changed from that moment. And we have to be mindful that while everything may change from the time you accepted him, there are voices continually clamoring for our attention that need to be shut down to hear the voice of God. And not just circumstances, but ask him. Be engaged in the process so that we are following the purity of God and not a red herring. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and for this time and ask you to transform us by the renewing of our minds. Open up our hearts to be able to see as we handle and work in a world that has its impurities all around us. You are calling us to handle the things that are so special and transformative for people everywhere, no matter what condition they may find themselves. Lord, we ask you to give us the ability to walk in the manner that you've called us to walk in and not walk with compromise and not walk with mixture and not follow rabbit trails, but to follow you who are the way, the truth, and the life, to follow in the footsteps of your word as your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. Lord, open up our hearts to embrace the full measure of what Messiah's sacrifice purchased for us so that he without defect and without blemish could remove the yokes from us and set us free by the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for coming into our life. We ask you to make your residence within us in a stronger way every day so that we will not be as subject to those other things. 
but that we will hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it, when we would stray down the trails that lead away from you. Draw us back, O God. Draw us to yourself and have us walk in newness of life because of what Messiah has purchased for us. Give you thanks to his name. Stay tuned to Solace Radio. We pray you're blessed by our new channel. As always, hit the like button, share the program, and subscribe. And don't forget to comment or let us know how the teaching has touched you. Till we meet again, peace. Talk Radio for Inquisitive People. Solace Radio, Bonavista, Colorado.